All right, good morning. Now I think you can hear me. And uh, that, so, so thank you for, to those of you that uh, called or texted and Facebook message. Let me know that the, the, the announcements, that during the announcements you couldn't hear me. Um, it lets me know, hey, people are watching, they are paying attention, and, and now we've got it figured out. So uh, let, me, let me go back and say what, what I said there. Thank you for watching this morning. It's, it's a joy to worship with you. And um, we, we are so grateful for the technology that works most of the time except when you hit a, the wrong button and uh, then mics are muted. Uh, but we got it figured out and so now uh, everything's, everything's good to go. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And uh, same thing, if, you are, um, if, if you're uh, watching us on the website, if you would just fill out that, that form at the bottom, that just lets us know uh, kind of who's there and, and watching. And then if, if you have any prayer requests or any other way we can serve you, there's a box there as well. If you're watching on, on Facebook, or on YouTube, you can leave comments there as well. And again, I, I know those are working because I got multiple messages through through Facebook and uh, through my text message this morning uh, that <laughs> that you couldn't hear me during the announcements. But thankfully, we are uh, we're not concerned with perfection, right? We we are uh, all about grace and mercy and forgiveness, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning in Mark chapter two, as we see Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector. Um, and this morning we're going to see how Jesus continues really to just confound religious leaders and to amaze those who are following him. So this morning we're going to focus on Jesus calling uh, maybe the most unlikely of the 12 disciples. We're going to see this in Mark chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. This is what the word of the Lord says. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then, passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you just for the chance to, to gather and and for the technology that you've given to us to be able to continue worshiping alongside one another, even, even in these unusual days. I thank you for your grace and mercy, even, even in, in things like technology, when we don't hit the right button to unmute a microphone. Um, we just pray that you'll oversee our time here this morning, that you'll speak through your word, and that you would give us your ears your eyes to see those around us. That we might begin to see people the way you see them. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, here in Matthew chapter 2, as I said, we see the, this uh, Jesus calling Matthew, who's, who's maybe the most unlikely of all the disciples, um, because of his... His occupation as a tax collector. 
One of the things we need to understand about tax collectors in, in first century Jewish life is that uh, much, like, much like today, like an, like an IRS agent, they worked for the government. In, uh, in, in this case, however, Matthew was a Jew who was working for the Roman government. And keep in mind that, that, that the Romans came in and, and are seen certainly by the Jews really as an occupying force in their country. And so for, for Matthew, a Jew, to be working for the Roman government would be seen almost as treason against his people and, and certainly as, as, as something that just didn't happen or wasn't supposed to happen. When you add on top of that the, the fact that uh, tax collectors were really known as thieves, because uh, even though we're not specifically told that Matthew took, took place in this practice, we, we know it was common practice for tax collectors to charge uh, quite a bit extra from, from what someone actually owed to the government, and then the, the tax collector would pocket that difference. And so they were, so, so Matthew, just as a tax collector, would have been known as, as a traitor to his people. And probably as, as a thief. Again, we're not told specifically that Matthew would, uh, would swindle uh, people out of their money, but, but that was a common practice for tax collectors. We're not, we're not told that he didn't, uh, didn't do that as well. So, so we at least have a, a reasonable suspicion to believe that he probably took, took part in that. So tax collectors were hated. In fact, when you see the way that, that, it, that they're described here in our passage, when we get down to verse 15... We're told that Jesus was reclining at the table in Levi's house and many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. So it's almost like uh, tax collectors were their own uh, category of sin, right? So you had you know, like your, your regular run-of-the-mill sinners, uh, you know, like prostitutes and such, and then you had tax collectors, right? They, they almost got like their own category of, of sinners because, because of the way they were um, despised by their fellow Jews. So the first thing that we see in our passage is that Jesus calls the unlikely. Verse 13, we're told that Jesus went out beside the sea. And again, we're told that crowds were coming to him and he was teaching them. Now, there are some times in the passage, passages in scripture where we'll see Jesus engaged in kind of formal uh, periods of teaching. Certainly, we saw that a couple weeks ago where he's in a house and, and the, the four friends bring their their uh, paralyzed friend and lower him through the roof we see Jesus engaged in like a formal time of teaching where he's he's sitting down more than likely in a house and and people are coming to to hear him but more than that Jesus teaches even as he's going along in fact several times throughout the gospels we'll we'll see Jesus using really an object lesson to teach the disciples something we see that um, in the parable of the fig tree we see that as, as uh, Jesus and the disciples look at the temple and, and the, the disciples are amazed at the glory of the temple. And, and Jesus uses that as, as an opportunity to teach something about who he is and, and why he's come. And so we, we see him in, engaged in these kind of formal settings, but he's always teaching. Even in this case, as he's walking beside the sea. Told crowds were coming to him, he was teaching them. And then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth and said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, now just to, to clarify, Levi and, and Matthew are the, are the same person. 
right? Um, so, so let's just be, uh, let's make sure we're, we're clear on that. Um, what, what, I, what I find really interesting here is um, we're not really given any details, right? Other than, uh, other than Jesus just tells him, follow me. Much like he did to the fishermen in chapter 1. And he got up and he followed Jesus. Much like Peter and Andrew and James and John, this was far more than simply following a teacher. Because to follow Jesus meant leaving something behind. And in this case, for, for Matthew, that meant leaving behind his, his job, his livelihood, but also his lifestyle. See, as, as, as a tax collector who abandoned his, his toll booth, it's highly unlikely that the Roman government would hire him back. If you've ever walked off a job and then tried to go back to that boss and ask for your job back, it, that doesn't usually go well, um, right? So, so he's, he's leaving his job, but he's also leaving behind this, this life of, of uh, turning his back on his people, leaving behind this life of lining his pockets by charging people extra for their, for their taxes. The Bible word for that is repent, right? He, he repents. He leaves, he literally leaves his life to follow after Jesus. Jesus calls unlikely people. But not only that, in the next passage, what we see is that Jesus associates with the ungodly. Look at uh, verse 15. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes, who were Pharisees, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, now look here, between uh, verses 15 and 16, that phrase, sinners and tax collectors, is used three times. Mark is emphasizing this. He, he wants us to understand these kind of people that Jesus hung out with. And they were sinners and tax collectors. This wasn't the normal crowd that, that a rabbi, a teacher, a, a righteous person would hang around. And not only that, but we're told that there were many of the tax collectors and sinners who were following him. And, and the religious leaders just could not understand this, right? They, they were just confounded by this. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now keep in mind that they wanted to keep themselves as far away as possible from unrighteousness, but, but just as much away from unrighteous people. Of course, the irony there is, is they didn't realize that their immense pride made them unrighteous. Maybe they were afraid that they were going to catch some of this sin like a virus. Maybe they were, they were afraid that, that sin would rub off. If they were, if they were around these, these sinners, that might make them sinners as well. Of course, Jesus didn't have any kind of fear. 
but he spent most of his time. If you look at this, this is incredible. He spent so much of his time with those the religious leaders wanted nothing to do with. The unholy, the unrighteous, the unworthy. Why? Maybe we look at that and we're like, why, why, does, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why would Jesus do that? Why, why wouldn't he go spend time in the temple with all these, these really smart religious people that have spent their lives uh, learning the, the law? And, and couldn't, he, couldn't he spend his time there and, and share with them the, the way? And it, then you, you have all these built-in uh, high-level leaders and with all, our, all this influence and all this education they can leverage. And shouldn't that be the people that Jesus spent his time with? But I think what we see is that Jesus went to the people who needed him the most. See, Jesus spent his time with people who were far from God, but people who knew they were far from God. People who were looking for some kind of hope. And, and they saw in Jesus something different. A man who would come and eat with tax collectors and sinners rather than look down on them when he passed them in the market. Jesus associates with the ungodly. But it doesn't stop there. Now, now don't miss this. Because sometimes I'm afraid we can, we can stop short of, of Jesus' purpose for spending time with the least of these. And, and, and many people will look at the Bible and they'll rightly identify the people whom Jesus spent his time with. And they'll say, see, Jesus, Jesus was concerned with the outcast and the downtrodden. And that is absolutely true. But he didn't leave them there. He was concerned not just for their physical state, but for their spiritual state. And this is where so much of particularly liberal Christianity misses the mark because the, they'll focus so much on we want to meet, we want to meet physical needs, we want to be about the least of these, but we miss, but, but they'll they'll often miss this last part, and that is that Jesus saves the unworthy. Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, this was Jesus' whole mission. This is what we looked at last week and, and where we said that without the resurrection, without the story that, that Jesus came, not, not just to, to, to point us to a better life, but to save us. From sin and death. Without that, the, the, the message of the gospel has no power. The power is found in that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And Jesus understood this about his mission. That it wasn't those who were righteous. But sinners who needed him. It's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And I've, I've used this 
uh, analogy before, but, but imagine going to a hospital and, and being told, I'm sorry, we don't treat sick people here. Tell you what, you, you go well, you, you go home, get well, and then we'll see you. Right? That, that's ridiculous. And yet, that's what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. In, in essence, they were saying, listen, you go get yourself righteous first. You go take care of all that junk that's in your life, and, and you clean yourself up, and then you come back, and then we can talk. I'm afraid this is what many churches have done too. Oh, we just we don't want those people in here. And here's the reality. As soon as those people, whoever that may be, aren't welcome, Jesus isn't welcome either because those are Jesus' type of people. Why? Because Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. Now let me take this a, a step further as well, because we don't want to leave this out. See, the whole message of the gospel is that, that God saves us where we are by sending Christ Jesus to the earth to take our place, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved. But, but here's, here's the good news. He doesn't leave us in that state. The Bible said he cleans us, he cleanses us, and he makes us righteous. But that is an effect of salvation. And, and that always happens after coming to faith in Christ. So the message of the gospel isn't, listen, you go get yourself right and then come back and then we can talk. The, the, the message of the gospel is Jesus came to, to save you right where you are. And then he'll go about the work of cleaning you. By refining you through the work of the Holy Spirit within you. But that's a part of this that we can't leave out. See, he saves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to let us Stay there. He has far greater things in store in this life for us than for us to continue to turn to worthless idols. Jesus has a life in him that's available to us that we can't even imagine. And it comes as he begins that work the big churchy word is sanctifying us which just means shaping us and forming us into his image but he does that not in order that we might be saved but because we are saved that moment that we place our faith and our trust in him he begins that work in us and that's that's what we what we symbolize when we baptize just like that video you saw a few moments ago we go in the water, we, we signify that, that the old man or the old woman is dead. And we've been raised to walk in a new life in Christ Jesus. Now, now here's the kicker in this passage. See, 
Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And that included the religious leaders. Because they were sinners. Because so many of them refused to see their own sin and to admit their need for a Savior. Can't we sometimes find ourselves in that same boat? One of my biggest concerns as a pastor, in addition to looking out and seeing a community that if statistics hold up here in Alamogordo, if they're consistent with the rest of the state, we, we, we have about a 90% population base that does not know Jesus. And, and, and obviously that concerns me and that, that weighs heavy on me. But, but can I tell you one of my, maybe as a pastor, um, as one has been called to shepherd a, a local church, a bigger concern that I have, and, and that's that we'll have people who've been raised in the church, who, who've been around Jesus their, their whole lives, but who've never really repented of sins and trusted in him. I think I've shared this, this story before. Um, I met George W. Bush one time when he, was, um, when he was the governor of Texas. It just happened to be in Austin uh, at, at an event there, and, and my family and I went to um, the, the state capitol. I think I was in the eighth grade. And as, as we were walking up the steps of the capitol, the doors open, and, and George Bush and his um, security detail come out and start walking down the steps. And uh, so he sees us, comes over, shakes hands, says hi. Um, the entire interaction lasted 30 seconds. And then got in his you know, black limousine and, and drove off. Um, now, I had, I had one interaction with, with George Bush. So it would be ridiculous, right, for me to walk around and say, hey, I know George W. Bush. It's my, my buddy Dubs, Right? That, 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 would be, that would be ridiculous. Here, here's my fear, though. My fear is that we have people who've had some interactions with Almighty God, but do not have a relationship with Him. My, my fear as a pastor is that we have churches all around this nation where, because Christianity was just so ingrained in, in the cultural fabric of our nation for so long, we have people that have grown up in church who just assume because their, their grandpa was a deacon, their dad taught Sunday school, that that means I'm a believer. And there's never been a real relationship with Christ. See, these religious leaders had been around the things of God for a long time. They studied the, the, the Old Testament law, they had laws to clarify the laws, and they had, they had customs to keep so that they would be sure to keep the laws that they had made about the laws, right? I mean, they, they were concerned with, with living lives that outwardly were righteous, and yet Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, because he said, you, you sure look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing but death and decay. fear is that we, that some, some watching even this webcast this morning might be in that same boat. You've been around Jesus, but you don't have a relationship 
with him. Now the good news of this story is that there is nobody that's too far gone. Right? As, as I said earlier, Matthew was a thief who was probably living pretty well. I mean, tax collectors, as I said, they were kind of known for lining their pockets with, with the money they got. They charged extra for, from people and then just, just pocketed that. And so, so he was probably living well, and, and he, had, he was considered a traitor because he had turned his back on his people and was working for this evil Roman government that was occupying the territory that belonged to God's people. And Jesus saves him, and Matthew becomes one of the 12 disciples, becomes one of only two men that we, that we know actually walked with Jesus who, who, that are included in the 12 who wrote down their account in the Gospels. It's Matthew and, and John. John Mark was probably a, a teenager at the, at the time and later spent time with, with Peter Think about this, right? This tax collector becomes one of the world's most famous evangelists because he writes this gospel that we know of Matthew. What a radical transformation. So, so hear me out. Don't give up on your lost family, your lost friends, that neighbor or coworker. That, I mean, you're just around and you're thinking, man, there's no hope. Like, like this, this guy turned his back on Jesus a long time ago. Don't give up. There is still hope. Jesus can save anybody, anywhere, at any time. The message of the gospel is that powerful. The most famous case of that is the Apostle Paul. If you grew up in church at all, been around church for, for long, you probably know Paul's story. Paul was first introduced to us in the book of Acts is a man named Saul. He's a Pharisee. One of these religious leaders that, that Jesus interacts with so much. The first time we see Saul is in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is stoned to death. This is the first Christian martyr. At the end of chapter 7 we're told Saul was there. People were laying their coats at Saul's feet as they were going and getting ready to throw throw rocks at Stephen to kill him. And the end of Acts 7 simply says, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. Beginning of chapter 8 tells us that, that on that day a severe persecution broke out. Things, things escalated. And that, that this man, Saul, was breathing murderous threats against the church, was arresting believers, putting them in prison. Maybe even taking some to, to, to be killed. And then comes Acts chapter 9 and Saul's on his way to Damascus. Carrying papers to arrest believers. When Jesus gets a hold of him. And in a moment. Saul's life is radically transformed. By encountering the living Christ. His name is eventually changed to Paul. And he becomes the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He, he simply lays out his testimony for, for Timothy. But also for the, the church at Ephesus where Timothy was an elder. 
And this is what he says, 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 12. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. And now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now just consider that last verse, verse 17 there. To the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. See, Paul spent his life as a Pharisee thinking he was serving God rightly. Not, not realizing that he was a sinner separated from, from the Savior. And then Christ Jesus radically transformed his life. And that leads him as he reflects on his testimony, as he reflects on his story, as he looks at where he was and where Christ brought him, causes him to break out in praise to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the power of the gospel. Not just that bad people would be made good, but that dead people, spiritually dead people, would be brought to life in Christ Jesus. It's what God did for Matthew. It's what he did for Paul. Friends, hear me. This is what he'll do for you. Has there ever been a time when you've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, where you've repented of sins? Not, not just because you've been in, in Sunday school for 35, 40 years. Not just because you've been around churchy people your whole life. Has there ever been a moment where you personally turned from sin and trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior? You know, you can do that today. You can pray something like this. There aren't any magic words here. It's just a, a model prayer for us to, to help give us some words to do that. Pray something like this. My life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him. If you prayed that today for the first time, there, there's a spot on the, that form on the website to indicate that, that you received Christ or even a spot to indicate you'd like to know a little bit more. Maybe, maybe you just have some questions. Check that, that box that I would like to know a little bit more and, and I'll be in touch with you this week.
Friends, let us never believe that we are too far gone for the grace of God to reach us. Let us never believe that others are too far gone for the grace of God to reach them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to gather. And, and despite technological hiccups, I, I thank you for the chance to, to gather and to worship, to open up your word together. I pray even in, in these days of, of social distancing and quarantining and isolation, you would continue to refine us. Shape us into the image of Christ. May you use these days to bring families closer together. To strengthen our reliance on you. To increase our joy and our love for the local church. I pray we would, I pray we would lament in these days. That, that we would feel the weight of not, not just this disease and that it's ravaging so many lives. I pray we would feel the weight of not being able to gather as believers. I pray that, that would help us to identify with um, believers in persecution around the, around the globe who, for, for whom this is a reality often where, where they cannot meet openly. I pray these, these temporary days would give us a new appreciation for the blessing of the local church and the the, the wonderful privilege that we have to gather together often. That we'd never take Sunday mornings for granted again. Above all, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for sending Jesus to be the savior of tax collectors and Pharisees and sinners. May we recognize the sin that we all have in our lives. May we, as followers of Christ, may we be people that are, whose lives are marked by repentance, by turning from sin, by trusting in you more and more. For anyone who's watching today who's not come to that place yet where, where they've repented of sins, asked Jesus to forgive their sin, may today be the day. As we saw in the life of Matthew and, and Paul, uh, lives that were radically transformed. Will you remind us that you still do that? Will you arrest hearts? Awaken them to your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. I pray that people would turn from sin and trust in Christ right now in living rooms, dining rooms, bedrooms, wherever they're watching. May you move powerfully today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Um, as an aside, if, if you're interested in kind of a, a, a unique view at the life of, of Paul, um, uh, Johnny Cash wrote a, a novel based on, on the life of Paul called The Man in White. And if you want to get a just a glimpse of, of how Johnny Cash, who understood something about redemption and understood something about sin, um, and the way he envisioned 
um, Jesus saving Paul and radically transforming him, uh, Johnny Cash's novel, The, the Man in White, is a really good, a really interesting look at, um, at, at Paul's life from, from, I think, one of the best storytellers, uh, certainly in the last hundred years. And, and while you're at it, you should just download the entire Johnny Cash collection. That'll help in your sanctification <laughs> as well. Um, hey, thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. Uh, if we can serve you in any way, please use that form on the website. Um, we want to be able to do so. God bless you. Stay safe. And I am so much looking forward to the day when, when I'm no longer having to preach to a camera in an empty sanctuary, when we can gather together, sing, sing God's praises in this room, and open up his word together. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have a fantastic week.